Hi, this is David Steinberg. I have a show on called Inside Comedy on Showtime in the States. And I'm on showbizmonkeys.com. Around this town, I'm all right. Around this town, I'm all right. I mean, no consequence when you're playing with the fire. Move to the left, man. No consequence. You're originally from Winnipeg, uh, as most people know. Yeah. Um, before you left the city for Chicago, was there any kind of comedy scene around here at that time? No. Not at all? No, no. Because uh, that was the 50s, uh-huh. and <clears throat> there was that was the folk singing uh, period. In other words, there was always popular music. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I'm trying to think of, yeah, probably Elvis not quite starting, but always hitting Winnipeg a little bit late. Uh, when I left, there was no television in Winnipeg. Yeah. It, it was all radio stuff. <clears throat> you know, I think the sta- same station, CKY, was there. And I can't quite remember the others, but I, I remember CKY being around. And um, and where the Winnipeg in, I do remember there was a, a, a theater called the Dominion Theater. Mm-hmm. And they and they had a, uh, a, radio, a live radio show where they had sort of like, I guess what now would be called country western. The music outlaw maybe okay that was the style that was very popular when it, and folk music no there was no comedy scene i don't remember ever uh hearing of a comedian coming to winnipeg in my uh adolescence or anything like that no and then when you left you didn't actually as, as far as i've uh heard and read you didn't actually leave to pursue comedy you left for just for school yeah, yeah, I went to school, I went to theological school, eventually got a scholarship to Israel University, and I was there for a while. I had no plan, really, but um, but Chicago was an incredible place to get to, and then when I got to the University of Chicago, and I was around, I, I'd come back from Israel, then I'd be about 19 or 18 or 19, at the University of Chicago, and in Chicago... Blues was happening, uh, you know, right around the University of Chicago area where you could, you could see Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, all these sort of legendary blues guys who, who were playing to six and eight and ten people. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and I would be there every night. So it was like a, 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 our small group of misfits uh-huh. that we were considered at that time. And then, and then there was a, a club in Chicago called the Gate of Horn, and they had <clears throat> folk music, which I was interested in because that was the going thing at the time. The Weavers, Pete Seeger. Uh, uh, all, everything that was called lefty music was uh-huh. appealing, appealing to me. And then at the Gatorhorn, uh, that's when I saw Lenny Bruce and the first comedian I ever saw. And, uh, that was amazing. Yeah. And then from that moment on, you pretty much were, were drawn to that? I, I was drawn to it, but I, I had, I had no way of knowing how to do it and how <laughs> to get to it. And, right. you know, you know, like you say, you just love that. It doesn't mean that you want to do it. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, in in this day and age, I, there isn't a, a family around us here in, in in Los Angeles that doesn't have a child or a grandchild or someone who is wants to be in show business. Uh-huh. But it, in in those days, especially being a comedian or being in comedy, that was considered a weird thing to do. Not a not a, a way in which to make a living. That's for sure. So no, I I. 
I wasn't, I, I, I just couldn't get over how brilliant he was. And I was just drawn to entertainment in a very, very big way. And, I, you know, I'd been on stage a lot. I was always talking to large groups uh, at this high school I went to, as the, was, which was a, an Orthodox high school, co-ed high school in Chicago. I got, I got written in as the president only because I was on stage all the time, you know, just making fun of everything that was going on, <laughs> never having seen a comedian. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't realize, I only realized in retrospect that there was a path that I was actually on without knowing it. And then at the University of Chicago, Second City came through. Second City had just been formed, and they performed at a place called Mandel Hall, one of the places there. I snuck in to see them, and <clears throat> that was it. And then I said, okay. I know how to do this. I'm not as good as those people, but I I have the same information. You know, it just that was it. Then I had then I was after it. Then uh, that that was the start of wanting to do it. Mm -hmm. And who was uh, around Second City at that time? I've heard some some names mentioned that uh, that were there at the time you were. Well, the the people who were around the, the, that that I followed were Alan Arkin and. Uh, Barbara Harris, not names that are very well known, but known in Second City serials. Yeah, Mike yeah. Nichols and Elaine May, uh, Shelley Berman at the time. It was a a ridiculously brilliant group of people mm -hmm. on stage at the same time, and irreverent and dealing with a strong political point of view that you could in those days really get in trouble for. And, <laughs> And in some ways later on, I did. But, um, yeah, I just felt I could do it. And I got into the company. And uh, the moment I hit the stage, I I just realized I'm good at something. I, I Up until that time, I didn't know what it was going to be. Yeah. Now, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your time uh, appearing on The Tonight Show over the years. Uh, I've heard numbers bant bantered about about how many appearances you actually had. Second most to Bob Hope, I think. Is yeah, yeah. Um, do you know the actual number? <laughs> well, the number is somewhere between... Uh, yeah, because of the documentary on The Tonight Show that's coming out, a very extensive one for PBS here, and I'm, I'm interviewed a lot. They interviewed everyone. Somewhere, uh, it was like between 138 or 140 appearances because cause I started with, uh, with Jody in the... 60s in like 60 67 60 actually 68 mm -hmm. and i was still doing the show the last week when he retired which i think was like 93 or something like that so i i was on a lot and I, and because of my second city background he could call me in the last minute to fill in i mean the reason i i, I was booked all the time where because he want you know we we had a good rapport so I was on almost seven, every seven weeks or something like that <clears throat> and it was sort of like an op-ed page for me but the reason I was on so much is that he could call me in the last minute and I would be okay with not having had to prepare anything right right and uh, Bob Newhart was another person who did it as much as I did uh, not quite as much but <clears throat> he was also someone that you could call in the last minute. Now, what was your relationship like with Johnny? We were good friends. We were good friends. He was a mentor. He mentored me almost my whole career. He guided me. He, you know, um, there, there there are a number of ways to bond in show business. Mm -hmm. To me, the best way to bond is if you both hate the same people. <laughs> so, 
we we hated the same people. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm using hate a little comedically, but yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like we knew who was full of shit, who wasn't. That guy, yeah, I, he might be a big star, but he's full of shit. He's not the real deal and all that. Uh-huh. So uh, we we were just friends. We we would you know I wrote a lot for him when he would do special events. Uh, you know, I would write stuff for him, and um, and we were together. I know, I know all of his wives. <laughs> uh, I I went through all of them with him, and uh, and his his nephew Jeff, who runs the Carson Estate, is still a very good friend of mine because I know him from. I I, I knew him before he even got close to Johnny. So mm-hmm. yeah, we started we started in the in the sixties and, and my second appearance on the Tonight Show, he I was I was like twenty six, twenty seven, I'm not even sure what my age was, but I was in my twenties and he said, um, you know, it's hard for me to do these shows. Uh you know, I'm gonna start taking off on Monday. Do you wanna host the show? <laughs> And, uh, you know, this is, I, I asked, this is the only answer you could come up with. You're young like that. And, oh, sure. Yeah. Like <laughs> I really deserved it and could do it. Yeah. But, uh, but I started hosting it. Uh, I hosted it quite a bit. And, and sort of that background has sort of reared itself now with the show. I've, I've got a, a kind of, uh, I wouldn't, I don't know how to say popular, but at least a critically well received show that's on now where I've been interviewing comedians called inside comedy it's um on showtime how did the idea for the inside comedy series first come about well uh steve carell and i were were talking and and he said you know you span so many decades of comedy because of directing you know you know i've been i've been doing this a long time and he said, why don't we sort of document where everyone is in comedy right now, not just stand-up comedians, but just comedy in general. Mm-hmm. And we started to do it as a film. And uh, I raised the money, and we were just doing a film, and, and to to our surprise, everybody said yes. I mean, there was, I mean, the, at the highest level, they said yes, and we took people that we, we love, and the show, what's interesting about the show, when you see it, it's two people together. They're not together, but how it goes back and forth between the <clears throat> one and the other, like Seinfeld and Rickles are a show. And it's how, what's similar about them, how they talk about each other. It's just, it's a very unique, it's a little hard to describe because it's so unique, but um, it's, it's one of my favorite things that I've done, actually. Out of out of all the people that you interviewed for this series, uh, are there any favorites that stand out? There there aren't favorites, but some shows like the Seinfeld Rickles show is sort of an interesting show. I know that Showtime wanted to submit that for an Emmy, so obviously people feel that way. Mm-hmm. But Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner is a remarkable show. Robin Williams and Jonathan Winter. Oh, oh Chris Rock is all by himself. He's great. I mean, it's it's hard to to single one out over the other. They're they're totally eclectic, and yet um, the response to it has been just amazing, really exciting. It's, I expected people to like it. I didn't expect them to find it different, uh-huh. and, and that's what they seem to be doing. Well, I think uh, it, it seems over the last few years, the idea of really getting into the history and process behind comedy has come to the forefront. So I think you're tackling it in a slightly different way, but still kind of bringing that like behind the scenes look into comedy that people are looking for these days. 
Yeah, and and you know what, Paul, the, the, the interesting thing about it is comedians talk to another comedian very differently than they talk to anybody else. So mm. it doesn't have that sort of, uh, I don't know what it would be, in the CBC sort of documentary, you know, researched feel to it. it has a spontaneous sharing of stories and information, and uh, that, that that's what people are, are liking about it. Now, you've been involved with so many iconic television shows over the years, from Smothers Brothers, obviously we touched on The Tonight Show, Seinfeld, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes. So very few have actually worked on so many shows for as long as you have, but were there ever any points in your career throughout that where you still weren't quite sure if the next project would come along? Well, you know, they, it, that's a very good question because when people, you know, you know, what the Internet has done for my career has been remarkable because... You know, when I would go meet with people, I wouldn't tell them everything that I had done. <laughs> so I started to notice in the 90s when I'd go into meetings, uh, people would be a lot more respectful than they were up until then. You know, they would be nice, but now I found I found them more because they had my whole history in front of them. And uh, and and uh, and that 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 history has been incredible, but the truth of it is is if you look at any long career, I only know mine, but if you look at it and all these sort of people that I apprentice on the shows who want to direct that I'll keep with me or, you know, show them what I'm doing, they keep on talking about just look at this wonderful career. And I keep on saying it's about the failures. <laughs> I've had more failures than than anybody. That's really the truth. If you have as many successful shows as I have, it's because you've come back from shows that have just fallen by the wayside. There's so many times I didn't know I was going to get an, another job. And there's so many times when I was out of work and so many times and when I became a director, I had to convince people because I was a, a very well-known comedian. Mm -hmm. They said, well, why would you be, want to be doing this? You know, <laughs> and when I wanted to direct I, I did a I did a movie that's sort of now being reintroduced. It, at the time, it wasn't very successful with Burt Reynolds called Paternity. Paternity now sort of a well looked upon first film, mm -hmm. but I did have a career. It was offered to me to do more movies, but I was interested in television. In the early '80s, television was still called the idiot box, <laughs> and it wasn't something that anyone would think of as a career to direct on television shows was almost like not being a director. The only prestige was really doing movies. Yeah. And I was interested in sitcoms and I got into it right away and I still had the tonight shows because Johnny was still there for another 10 or 11, 12 years. Mm -hmm. So I could direct and still be on the tonight show. So, um, one really enhanced the other. I always had, had a presence. So, you know, when people were thinking of me for comedies, they, you know, saw me on the air. They said, okay, well, this guy's funny. He'd be right for this. And it helped. But tons of shows didn't work. And in fact, Matt Perry, I just, Matt Perry's a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And he's now um, doing a, a pilot for another show. And the, uh, no, the I guess it, I was reading the state. I think they're somewhere where they're talking to all the Friends uh, uh, stars. Yeah everyone who was in Friends, and just, you know, what their career, what it was like before they got Friends and what it was like after. And Matt Perry said, well, I was doing the lamest pilot of all time. It was about a future, like a future LAX airport. <laughs> and he talked about how lame it was. And we, he and I had just talked about that a week before. I'm going to kill him because I directed that pilot. <laughs>
So I would just, uh, you uh, actually, my next call is to Matt anyway, because it was in the paper today. He didn't mention me, but he just mentioned it was the worst show that he's ever done. It, it was pretty bad. <laughs> but, uh, but there, there are. A, a lot of those, and 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 really, it is it is it's how you come back from failure because show business is not easy. No, no business is easy to get into the thin air if, if you're lucky enough to get there. You need you need luck. You need a lot of luck, uh-huh. but you need to be able to come back from things failing, and you need to fail big because when you're trying to do bigger things, you're going to fail harder, and then every once in a while, one of those things goes through and you find yourself you're in a good position. Yeah, yeah. Now, I wanted to uh, just ask you, because you've worked with him uh, quite a lot through both Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm, what uh, Larry David is like to work with? Well, you know, we're very good friends, and we have been since the 80s. Uh, uh, Larry is very, well, first of all, he's not that character. Right. (laughs) He is improvising on the character, sort of making fun of himself. But he's a very, he's a good collaborator. He uh, he knows what he wants. He knows what is wrong all the time. Yeah. And in comedy, you don't really know what's right until you poke around. And again, it's still a process of failing, failing, failing. Okay, that's what we want to do. And it just you put in a lot of time. He is Larry would only describe himself one way as a writer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and he's probably the in in my experience, the best comedy writer I've ever worked with, and I think a lot of people would acknowledge, acknowledge that even without having worked with him. But when you work with him, he's a hard worker. You know, one of the sort of um, a myth that people have about Seinfeld, now that they see Larry and Kirby enthusiasm, is that Seinfeld didn't really write uh, uh, Seinfeld. He didn't write the show, just Larry did. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's not true. Jerry was an exceptional writer. Usually... The star of the show has to be a good writer, and Larry was brilliant, but Jerry wrote with him. When I would leave the lot, you know, uh, uh, at Seinfeld, uh, there would be just, it would be late at night, midnight, because you'd be writing late, and there'd just be two cars there after all the writers had gone and everyone had gone, and that would just be Larry David and Seinfeld's car there, and they yeah. just worked harder uh, than anybody else. But like Paul Reiser who I worked with on Mad About which I did for years, and Paul Reiser was also just an exceptional writer. And I think one of the uh, lucky things for me is that I was sort of a, uh, a, a, because I had my comedy background, I was always someone that everyone wanted in the writer's room as much as wanted me to direct. Because yeah. directing television comedies is not like directing a film. There's a formula that you fall into, but it is about finding the humor and just getting the distance uh, right from the actors and the camera and stuff like that. I want to ask you a little bit about the the first Winnipeg Comedy Festival. I was interviewing Al Ray a couple weeks ago, and he mentioned that um, when he first kind of came up with the idea for it, uh, he was working with you in Vancouver, I believe, on a project. Yes, yes. And you kind of... uh, were were integral in getting some of the the money behind getting the first Winnipeg Comedy Festival started. Yeah, well, Al Al Ray's a friend of mine, Bruce Clark, uh, Jeff Rothstad, we all worked together on Big Sound, and they, you know, Al said to me, you know, if you would agree to do this, that it would help us, you know, talk with. I think it was the CBC at the time. I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. It would matter, and I thought, well, you know. 
I, I didn't know I had that clout, but if I can make that happen, I will. So that was the reason I did it. What can people expect from your show uh, or your appearance at the uh, at the Chosen Ones show uh, at the Winnipeg Comedy Festival? Well, for me to be delving into Jewish humor in terms of material is redundant. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's going to seem like I'm I, I'm pandering to an audience when I've been doing this my whole career. I was, yeah. you know, the, I, w one of the reasons I had a success in the States uh, with what I was doing is that I was not like the other, the other Jewish comedians who were really good. I mean, they're like amazing, funny, buddy hacker. Those guys are great. Yeah. But I was not self, I was not self-deprecating about Jewish. I was like militantly Jewish. <laughs> And I was deprecating about non-Jews. So it was Gentiles who were funny. Yeah. Goyim were funny. So that was my approach. So the, the, the sad thing about this, uh, this show that I'm doing now is, uh, people are going to think that I'm, I'm, I'm condescending to them by doing what I've always done. But, uh, I'll just, I'll just do the same thing I've always done in the areas of Jewish stuff. But it's being, it's taking a, a strong approach towards your Jewishness and, and sort of attacking in some way. So yeah. I don't know what, what we'll figure out. I, I, you know, I, it reminds me, given that I'm in Winnipeg, I might even try and remember some of the stuff that related to Winnipeg. That was the first material I did on the Tonight Show and maybe bring that up a little bit. Yeah, that would be interesting. And then, you know, see maybe for the locals, see how, how, how much things have changed in Winnipeg, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if you're if you're yeah. aware of this living living in the States and spending most of your time down there. But over the last couple of years, uh, Winnipeg has kind of had a comedy renaissance, a bit of a burgeoning scene here the point where there are a really good number of solid young comics working uh, regularly. Yeah, I, I, I've heard about that. I think it's, uh, it's incredible. I think it's great. Um, what, what do you think it is about a place like Winnipeg or Canada in general that seems to breed comedy? Well, let's, let's talk about like the SCTV group. That was a group that I worked with on my Canadian show, the David Steinberg show. Yeah. Uh, they, and, and people are, keep on saying, well, how come all these great people are from Canada? Great comedians, in fact. And, you know, the, the, I don't think the theory applies as much today, but at that time, Canada, you were, you got the, uh, you got the culture from the states seeping through to Canada all the time. Yeah. So, so you have an outsider's view of what's going on in the culture, and then because you're good at it, you sort of, and if you get known like Marty Short and Catherine O'Hara, then you have this insider's view, and an inside view and an outside view is valuable for comedy. In other words. You can't be a good stand-up comedian if you're not slightly an outsider about something. Yeah. And so in Winnipeg, you're an outsider automatically by being in Winnipeg, just by where you are <laughs> geographically. Uh-huh. And, you know, even when I've shot shows in Canada and, uh, you know, I did uh, Living in Your Car with uh, and Big Sound with those guys and everything, the crews, when I find someone from Winnipeg, they're just, uh, they, you know, first of all, People always, all they do is joke about the weather in Winnipeg, uh -huh. but the personalities are what make Winnipeg interesting. And it must be just sort of the ethnic breakdown that, that some of the, there isn't, there isn't that ethnic pressure to assimilate too much. And in, in the States, you have that more than you have that in Canada. And I think you have that even less in Winnipeg for some reason. Yeah. I think so, somewhere in there, a sociologist could find the answer to your question. <laughs>
Yeah, and I think it's something that's uh, interesting about the Winnipeg scene that uh, you may not find in other scenes from what I've gathered is is there's a lot of uh, support from everyone. There's it, it doesn't feel cutthroat like a lot of uh, other cities. No, that that's that is true, and 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 it must be, and and it's it, you know it's in me as a sort of a Winnipeg person that what people like about the show, that inside comedy show, is that it has a warmth to it. It's not about the bitter comedians and how you know played the toilets. It's none of that. It's the opposite. And yeah, there's something something like that is as accurate. Showbizmonkeys.com.